I'm John Fort. Welcome to Fort Knox Podcast Edition from CNBC, bringing you close to powerful ideas from people who make things happen. This is episode two of Fort Knox. Last week, you got to know Alexis Ohanian, co-founder of Reddit, where the internet goes to talk about anything and everything. This week, we're going to stick with tech, but with a bigger company, AMD. But first, let me fill you in on the dual personalities of Fort Knox. There's this podcast edition, and there's also a live edition, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope. And that's when I get to hear from you live and in color. The best way to get out on that is uh, to head over to my Facebook page, J-O-N-F-O-R-T-T, and like it. Or if you're into Periscope, download that app, log on, J-O-N-F-O-R-T-T, and uh, join us live from there, and then pop in if you can. And of course, it's going to be recorded both places, so if you can't make it live, you can still catch up on it afterward. You can see the Ohanian episode, the live that I did with CNBC's Robert Frank. We talked Trump, we talked fake news, uh, a lot of the issues of the day. Pop in, let me know what you think. And of course, please share this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes with all your friends, all your coworkers, and Hey, people who you want to know better but aren't that close to yet, you can try a little, hey, my name's John. Have you heard that new podcast from the guy on CNBC? Now, if you like underdog stories, I've got one for you. When it comes to the chips in personal computers, there's Intel, and then there's AMD. Intel's massive, worth $165 billion. AMD's much smaller, worth around $8 billion. Two years ago, AMD was circling the drain. The PC market crashed in the global economic slump, and the smaller rival in the chip business got the worst of it. Then a leadership change. The board installed a new CEO, Lisa Su. Students of recent corporate history will recognize this situation. Some like to call it the glass cliff. That's not to be confused with the glass ceiling. The glass ceiling is when supremely qualified women can't seem to break through into the corner office because some invisible barrier holds them back. The glass cliff is different. It's when the women get to the corner office only to recognize that they've walked into the business equivalent of a suicide mission. Maybe the company's already in a nosedive. Maybe things are about to get a lot uglier. Either way, the newly minted CEO is left holding the bag. Where have we seen this before? Think Ginny Rometty at IBM, Marissa Meyer at Yahoo, Carol Bartz at Yahoo, Meg Whitman at HP, Anne Mulcahy at Xerox. But the thing is, sometimes in these glass cliff situations, the women CEOs step over the glass cliff and they don't fall. Sometimes they fly. And that's why I wanted to talk to Lisa Sue. She stepped over the glass cliff and AMD stock is soaring. If you'd bought $1,000 worth two years ago when she got the job, it'd be worth more than $3,000 today. She's done it by focusing the company's mission on product quality, delivering on time, boosting morale. Now AMD chips are in the latest versions of the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and its graphics chips are in the most powerful new Apple MacBook Pros. Oh, and I didn't mention... Lisa Su, of course, also happens to be an Asian-American woman CEO. And while maybe that shouldn't be a big deal, look at the numbers, and it kind of is. Steve Bannon, now President-elect Trump's chief advisor, notoriously claimed last year that two-thirds or more of Silicon Valley CEOs have Asian heritage. That didn't sound quite right, so I counted. Fortune magazine has a list of the top 1,000 American public companies by sales, the Fortune 1,000. 
There were 101 technology companies on that list at last count. 17 of them have CEOs with Asian or South Asian heritage, far less than two-thirds. Asian American women on that tech list? There's just one, Lisa Su. Lisa's not been one to talk about herself much, so I was glad she took a few minutes with me on the bustling floor of the New York Stock Exchange to talk about her journey from immigrant kid in Queens to engineer and CEO. Here she is, AMD CEO Lisa Sue. So you actually grew up on the East Coast. I did, I did. I grew up here in New York, actually. My family still lives here. And what part of New York did you grow up in? I grew up in Queens. So I grew up in Queens. I went to Bronx Science um, in the city. So yeah, New York is still home for me. Yeah, around the way we go. That's cool. So what got you interested in technology and science? You know, when I was a kid, um, you know, my parents were typical Asian parents and, you know, they wanted us to do hard stuff. So it was, you know, math and science and, and that, was, uh, that was the focus. And then, um, you know, I went, went to Bronx Science, did my science projects and all of those things. So that, that helped, uh, you know, really drive me into engineering. And I guess part of that, too, is just the immigrant experience, right? When you go through that kind of effort to get somewhere, there's this drive to take take advantage of every opportunity. There really is. I mean, my father um, was uh, a grad student at Columbia. You know, I came to the U.S. when I was two years old, and the idea was, uh, you know, you could do anything that you wanted. I mean, that was the wonderful thing about coming to the United States. And so, uh, you know, my parents encouraged us to work hard, dream big, and um, you know, do as well as you could. So, fast forwarding, when did you figure out that you wanted to be a CEO? Well. Now that took a while, <laughs> I have to say. I think, um, you know, it's, it started with engineering and semiconductors. You know, what, what's very attractive to me about semiconductors is we actually build things. You know, you can actually spend a couple of years, work on a product, and actually walk into a store and say, hey, I, I built that product, and, and that's really exciting. And um, after a number of years in engineering, you start to think, well, you know, they're, they're, you know engineers are good and, and they build products, but you know, strategy and business strategy and customers are really important. And that's what you know, drove me to the business side and eventually wanting to be a CEO. But, I mean, there's, gotta, there's a difference between looking at the business side and then deciding that you want to be a CEO, right? Because a lot of people reach the you know, vice president, senior vice president level, and sometimes you've got to move around, you've got to push, you've got to go into different sorts of positions in order to prove out that you're the one who's going to get the nod for that next So was there a point where you said, I'm ready to run the gauntlet and, and actually do this? I'm, I want to be in charge? You know, I, I think you, you, um, you get to that point, right? And, you know, as you become um, a vice president and a senior vice president, you know, what you find, what I find is the most exciting thing is, you know, watching, um, watching you bring a team together to do something really special. You know, sort of the, uh, the first product I launched, you know, I remember very, very well, it was at IBM and it was, you know, one of our, you know, first, you know, copper microprocessors and it was really, really exciting. And then the first Sony PlayStation 3 and being part of, you know, sort of you know, new networking projects, all of those are really exciting. But you realize that at the end of the day, the buck stops at the CEO and it is really about the choices that you make. And in my industry, you know, the choices that we're making today 
you won't know whether they're right or wrong you know, for another three to five years, but it's really fun to be able to kind of strategize and, and make those choices. And you worked under Lou Gerstner at IBM for a while during a period where that company, I mean, it's still going through uh, transitions as many companies do, but, you know, Gerstner was really trying to transform IBM into something it hadn't been before. What did you see from that up-close perspective? You know, it was um, amazing to work with Lou and in his office. Um, you know, I was his, you know, technical assistant, which actually means I helped him learn about technology. And uh, I got to watch him, you know, really, you know, think big and think broadly about not just the business, uh, not just the IBM business, but really the industry and what was important in the industry. And I think what I learned is it's not so much about you know, what you do, you know, every day or every hour of the day, but it's very much about understanding what is the big picture that you're trying to drive and then ensuring that you have the organization, the business processes, um, you know, the communication, all of those pieces uh, to enable, you know, your strategy. And it's, it's fascinating to watch it. At, you know, at that point in time, I was, you know, I was pretty young, so it was, a, it was a great experience. Does that have any influence on the way that you looked at the opportunity at AMD and what AMD needed from leadership? when you decided to, uh, to step up and be CEO? Yeah, you know, that's a great, um, great question. I've, I've always um, known AMD, you know, throughout my career. You know, the company has been around for, you know, 46 years. So it is one of the Silicon Valley, um, you know, sort of names out there. Uh, but it is one of those companies who's had its share of ups and downs. You know, we've had some really, really good periods and we've had some really not so good periods. And from my perspective, it was an opportunity to take sort of incredible um, technology and engineering assets, and if we can actually, you know, kind of channel them in the right direction, we would be able to do something really special, and uh, and people would notice that we were doing something really special. So, there's more focus than there has been at any other time that, that I've noticed recently in Silicon Valley on diversity and diversity in leadership, um, specifically the C-suite on boards. What's your feeling about the point where we are now paying attention to that versus, you know, where technology and the Valley was 15, 20 years ago? How much progress has been made and, and how healthy is the perspective right now? Yeah, so, you know, I think, um you know, if you look at it 15 to 20 years ago, there were, you know, pockets of diversity discussion. You know, I would say, you know, growing up at IBM, it, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, how do we ensure that we have a diverse workforce? But it wasn't widespread, particularly in Silicon Valley, and particularly, you know, with some of the, let's call it more hardcore techies. Um, you know, fast forward to where we are today over the last couple of years, um, you know, some of the conversation that um, certainly Intel has brought into the conversation, some of the conversation, um, you know, across um, all of the internet companies, I think it's good. I mean, I think it's good. I think there is certainly a, a view that diversity is important. Um, you know, I still think, though, that uh, it is a journey, you know, that we're on. It's not a, it's not a destination. So, you know, do we have, you know, a few more tech CEOs? Yes. You know, do we have more people in the C-suite and on boards? You know, yes. Um, is it still a rarity? Yes. And so, you know, there's still work to be done. It seems to me like it's especially a rarity in 
uh, semiconductor business. I mean, uh, when it comes to mechanical, electric, I mean, th there seems to be a bit more diversity in uh, some of the social media services, software arenas. I don't know if you see it the same way. And, you know, from some of the executives that I followed over the years, it's a bit more of a conservative bent to the men in the semiconductor industry. I mean, did you run into that? You know, I, um, I would agree with you, by the way. I think if you look at, you know, sort of tech overall, you know, software services tends to be um, perhaps a little bit ahead of some of the hardcore, you know, hardware, whether you're talking about semiconductors um, or networking. Um, I would view it perhaps a little bit on just uh, availability of supply. Okay, so um, it takes a certain type of person to want to be a hardware person. You know, like I said, it's not instant gratification, right? It takes us um, a couple of years to get a product out. Um, you know, it's a little bit uh, faster, you know, if you're in the software profession or other professions. So I think it's more availability of uh, supply versus um, versus other things, but um, you know, from my perspective, I think it's um, it's getting better in semiconductors as well. And you know, there are a couple of us who are who are certainly there, uh, you know, trying to fly the flag. But more importantly, I think there's um, a tremendous amount of talent uh, that's available, and not just in the U.S. but globally. So when I look at our design centers in you know India and China, I mean, there are a lot of women engineers who are really, really capable that uh, you know, we can uh, really grow into those leadership positions. So when you look at AMD and you look at nurturing talent, uh, what's your approach? I mean, do you, is there a specific business case that you make for diversity? Is there a way that you look at um, not only your leadership team, but those levels, you know, two and three layers below? and who's the right uh, candidate to develop and what sorts of skills the company needs? Yes, so, um, and you're absolutely right, it's not really the, the, um, you know, the, the direct level that uh, we need to focus on, it's really you know, probably like three levels below, because if you think it takes time to grow leaders. Um, you know, my view is, you know, male or female, what we're looking for is how do we grow, you know, um, smart, aggressive, capable leaders. And you know, to identify those and give them the experiences, um, you know, my leadership philosophy is very much, um, you, you don't just have to be good, you have to be lucky. So you need to be in the right place at the right time on the right projects such that people notice how good you are. And so you know, our leadership um, development is really around giving people different experiences uh, giving them stretch assignments where they can really uh, challenge themselves and then helping them be successful. So not everybody makes it, but uh, that extra focus um, you know, certainly helps. What do you do with your downtime? <laughs> There's not as much downtime as I would like, John, <laughs> but uh, I like to play golf. So I, I'm a golfer. Between golf and you know, wine, I do pretty well. Yeah, I can relate to the wine. I never got into golf. Ah. I don't know. What is it about golf? It's four hours where you can turn off the cell phone and compete against yourself. Because you know, every day you go out there, you're, you're just seeing, can I do better than the previous day? And I mean, how's, your, how's your game progressing? Do you get a coach to help you with that? Is that too much pressure? I can tell you that my game has gotten worse since I've been CEO of AMD. But um, you know, we'll, we'll get there. It's, it's, it's more for fun. It's more with friends. Uh, but it is a, a fun sport. 
Ever get to travel? Travel. Outside of work. Travel a lot for work. Um, you know, travel for fun usually means um, doing uh, very little. So uh, spending, you know, spending time at, you know, in, on, on the beach in Hawaii is a, is a very, very good, uh, you know, vacation for us. Is, I mean, in order to get the ideas that you need to make those bets that aren't going to pan out for three to five years, where do you go? Is there, is there some place where, you know, reading or maybe it is golfing to sort of refresh your mind and, and get a different perspective? You know, I think um, what I have noticed or learned from, uh, from this experience is it really is an integration of information from a variety of different sources, right? So I travel a lot for work and um, it's really good. You know, you learn from customers, um, you learn from industry analysts, uh, you learn from what your competition is doing, uh, you learn from, you know, just understanding, you know, sort of, you're a consumer, I'm a consumer, you know, what makes, what makes uh, uh, you excited, what, and so I think it's the integration of all of those things, and it is about ensuring that there's enough time to think, and so one of my best times thinking is on those long flights, you know, to Asia where nobody can reach you on a plane. You can sit there and say, hey, you know, we should be thinking about investing in that. Um, you have a time machine to go back to any point in life and can make a decision differently or give yourself some advice. Is there a particular moment or time period where you think maybe this, not that, or maybe even just get an extra boost uh, in the direction that you're already going in? You know, I would say that um, I've been given a lot of good advice, you know, throughout my career. And, you know, there were a couple of, let's call it points in time where I might have made a different decision if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I had my parents or my mentors, you know, tell me, you know, otherwise. And I would say my biggest issue is I'm impatient. You know, I've always, always, always been impatient. So let me dig into that. Does yeah. that mean you were close to leaving certain places because things weren't moving fast enough? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, when, when I was just finishing, you know, uh, sort of my bachelor's and master's degree, I was in a hurry to get out there and, you know, get out to work. And, um, you know, I could have easily gone into the financial industries for, you know, at that point in time, they were actually hiring a lot of engineers. And uh, my parents said, absolutely not. You are going to get a PhD. You are going to do it because, you know, you're going to thank me um, 10 years from now. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think I, I uh, wasn't quite sure that I would agree with them. But, you know, I listened. And, you know, that, that, was, that was very important. I mean, in other words, I didn't need to be in such a rush to get out into the workplace. Um, it really helped me figure out what I want to be when I grow up, because that's when I really sort of got the passion for products and, and product development. Um, and then I remember, you know, once when, when I was at IBM, um, I was in a total hurry. You know, I told, uh, I told my manager, I was working on a project, hey, I'm done, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And I had done, let's call it 80% of the work to get a product out. You know, I, I thought I had done the hard part, frankly. And he was like, you know, Lisa, until that product is on the shelf, you are not done. And it's that last 5% of, of really getting a product out that you learn the most. And, um, you know, again, that was, that was good advice. And that, that's, by the way, what I tell you know, people now. There are a lot of people 
come through the office and they're in a super hurry to go do this or go do that. You know, I think it's good to be impatient, but I think it's also really good to understand that um, there are life lessons to be learned and um, they each shape your leadership journey. And so I've had a couple, you know, when I was young, that shaped my leadership journey. <laughs> All right, well, uh, sage advice and we'll, of course, continue to watch your work at AMD. Just fascinating stuff, Lisa. Thanks for sitting down. Thank you so much, John. Great being here. It's been a week at Fort Knox, and I want to thank you. We're just getting started, but it's been a blast so far. Gotten lots of feedback. John Stone writes on Twitter, I saw Alexis Ohanian speak at Dallas Tech Week two weeks ago. Lots of great new nuggets in your interview. Thanks, John. Also got a shout out from Luis Velasquez on Twitter. Uh, on, on Facebook, Magda Stiegler writes, love to watch your program. Thanks, Magda. Please keep watching. Love to have you. And Betty Ann Clark writes on Facebook, hey, John, lots of forts in Vancouver, British Columbia. We must be related. You never know. On Periscope during uh, Fort Knox Live, when we were talking about the impact of fake news on social media, Camille Waronin writes, I think reaction on the fake news is too slow. Wrong metrics. Camille, I think you're right. And it'd be great to have you join the conversation as well. So keep it coming. Again, subscribe on Facebook and Periscope to join that live audience Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Eastern. Put in your two cents. And the podcast this here. Please go ahead and follow, like, and repost it on SoundCloud, if SoundCloud is your platform of choice, or subscribe on iTunes. Leave a nice review if you'd be so kind. Until next week, I'm John Fort. This is Fort Knox Podcast Edition. Share it.